All right, everybody, I do believe we are live. Welcome, welcome, and welcome to the Break the Rules stream, BreakTheRules.tv. For those watching that on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Patreon.com slash BreakTheRules is where you go to support Break the Rules. And today, we have a very special event. We have Luke Smith, Alexander Bard, two very fascinating human beings here on BTR. Finally, they shall meet, which has never happened before, and I don't think it ever would have happened until now. So, guys, I am a big admirer of a lot of things that you have to say. Luke, I know that you're very focused on um, maximizing personal freedom as far as not being dragged down by the software and by the technocracy. And Alexander Bard, you have a very interesting take on what is going to happen in the future with us and technology. So, for those who do not know that much about yourself, Luke, what would be the best way to describe you if there was one thing that I could say or a couple of things that I have not said already? Um, well, I don't really like being described. I think I'm a pretty normal person. I just happen to have a YouTube channel that people watch. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really, you know, there's this, I, I remember some anthropologist saying something that, like, you know, people in tribal cultures, they have a little trouble, you know, defining describing their personality you know they're like i don't know ask my friends and i'm kind of the same way i, I don't know you'll you'll have to i'm just the person um well as far, I, you'll, as far as you'll know by the end of this stream yes <laughs> well as far as occupation let's say the thing that you do the most what would you say it is how you occupy occupation. your time yes uh well okay I'll, I'll just say what people know me on youtube for i mean originally i started out doing tech tutorials and things like that and you know, whenever you're talking about technology, or at least, you know, I think when a, a, a pensive person talks about technology, they really have to think about how it actually affects people's lives. So I think um, I, I kind of ironically, a lot of my channel has actually been very critical of the way that technology affects people li uh, people's lives, be that social media, uh, the, the kind of basic stuff like that. But also, you know, what, what's the general direction that a lot of these technologies, you know, it, without without any kind of thoughtful analysis, what kind of world will they actually create if we leave them to, you know, financially interested parties and things like that, right? Um, so I talk a lot about that. I also have a podcast, um, and I have, you know, just I, I've just done a couple of different things on the 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 internet over the couple of years that I've been, I guess, a kind of a public person on it. But um, ultimately, I do think it's important for the internet to be a very small part of any normal person's life. And so most of my life, I, I think that's, you know, I don't really think of my internet existence as being primary uh, in my life. I'll just say that, right? It's actually very awkward when I meet someone and like someone tells someone that I'll, like I'm a YouTube, quote unquote YouTuber, uh, but you know, um, that's how it is. So, I mean, that's how I look at things. And I guess it'll be more clear as we, uh, you know, talk about stuff, whatever questions you, you know, you want to talk about. Perfect. So. And also, uh, last question about the tea. What kind of tea are you drinking there? Oh, it's just green tea. I mean, it's just with, with honey in it. Mm. I, I usually try not to drink sugar, but every once in a while I'll give myself a treat. Um, but yeah, no, it's just green tea. Sweet. So, uh, Alexander, how would you answer the question as far as your involvement in the Internet? I mean, you are a philosopher, you are a writer, you are a musician, you are a lot of different things. But as far as you being online... How would you contrast to how Luke approaches this? 
Uh, I think I think we're no longer Homo sapiens. I think we are Homo technologicals. I work with uh, I work in psychiatry with twenty-year-old girls who've been basically fucked by Instagram for the past five or six years, and Instagram is also the only solution to their problems. <laughs> They're stuck with it, uh, and, and and they regard their smartphone as a body part. And I think that's just it's just the way it is. It's going to remain that way. We're not going to be less technological, but rather more. And that's because. What we call civilization is entirely in technological phenomena. It, 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 we are reacting to technology the way we are reacting to nature. We are reacting to the very culture we've created. And because we've gone from being strictly in the natural environment to an environment that increasingly is cultural and therefore also symbolic and imaginary, uh, that's the world we just live in. And we're going to have more of that. And, and the very problems we created that's why I do psychiatry, for example. The very problems we create and need to solve are the problems we only have technological solutions to. So we are homo technologicals. I'm sort of neutral about it. I, personally, I live, in, I live in Scandinavia. That's like living in Canada. It's just like I walk straight out into nature and nature is just there around the corner. I love it. I need lots of it. I do meditation, contemplation, nature, and I realize this is what people did 5,000 years ago. It's no different. But then when I go back into the, sort of, into the sort of urban digital environment where I have my career, where I make my money, where I have my friends and everything, this is an environment that is totally different from 100 years ago and vastly different from 4,000 years ago. And it's all down to technology. So I do philosophy, yes, but I'm a very Aristotelian philosopher in the sense that I think our ideas would all be the same ideas all over and over again if it wasn't for technological change that we had to adapt to. And the very adaptions to technology forces us to think novel thoughts, and I find that incredibly interesting. Luke, do you agree with Alexander's assessment of us being this technological human being now moving into this next phase? Uh, well, no, but I mean, like... Obviously, you know, technology has created an entirely new environment for us, but, you know, humans have not fundamentally changed. I mean, we've changed on the margins. Like with every generation, you know, there are, you know, genetic drifts and things like that that change, you know, what, what's our body structure, what kind of sexual dimorphism, you know, groups of humans that have been in civilization longer are more likely to have less sexual dimorphism and you know their men are less likely to be more look look look, look i agree i just interrupted i agree entirely with you my emphasis is that we have not changed at all it is strictly only our technological environment that has changed so i think well, we agree i just want to point okay, that well, out yeah. Yeah. well in that case i mean well yeah i was being sympathetic to you in saying that but yeah humans have not changed um and the important as, as you mentioned in the case of the example of psychiatry um, the world that we have created for this generation, we are not calibrated to. Um, and thankfully, we have the ability to simply opt out of all of this. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like they can't opt out, um, but it's, you know, you can just abstain from that kind of stuff. And the real world is still at your beck and call. Um, so in that sense, I don't really think humans are changing. Well, I, I don't think you really think humans themselves are changing uh, to any degree. Um, so, uh, I, I think the issue there, I mean, more, I guess what I, I mentioned about when I gave my first little talk there is, um, you know, I, I think humans are increasingly in a world that we're not psychologically fit for. And a lot of the, I don't know, dysmorphic, a lot of the issues they have are the fact that they are, a lot of people take technology as something that, oh, it's just a new thing. We're going to do it. We can do things in technology. Therefore we should. Um, and it leads them to a lot of psychological issues. It leads them to health issues. It leads them to 
uh, trust the system, quote unquote, too much. Um, so that that's partially what I talk about. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that uh, the use of mass technology is something singular or inevitable. Um, I mean, it, it, it's more now than it was 100 years ago, and it seems to be in a trend uh, over the past couple of hundred years. But I think the issue with technology and the society that it creates is it creates a society that's, you know, more fragile. Um, you know, obviously in the past 50 years, this, you know, for people my age and younger, we don't care about it. But theoretically, um, we now have technology in the, in the case of nuclear weapons and actually other things that could easily destroy our society, destroy the entire world as we know it. And so my way of looking at things is I think technology often seems like it's creating some kind of inevitable, inevitable dystopia. But that's dystopia is not it, it's not robust in the way that a tribal society is. It's uniquely liable to, I don't know, ha have unexpected issues and run into the constant issues of, you know, again, our, our psychology not being fit for it. Um, and that I think is something that's already happening right now. Um, and I think it will only increase in the future, um, even though, and, and hopefully what, what we get out of this is we do have technology that we can use to do nice things you know we can do we can do math effectively give it a second he'll be back everybody subscribe right now if you're listening to this luke is having a little webcam issue but he is going to be right back i don't know what's going on there but uh, he looks good on stills though have yeah oh there we, there go. we go look you're back look, that was a that was a really good still shot of you there when we lost you so oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, I was basically done saying what i was gonna say so yeah uh, my point is this that um yeah, but it's kind of a luxury position to say you can afford to be a shamanic hermit and just exclude yourself from the online world since the online world generates all new jobs and careers. Say, say you go with me, for example, Luke, to Brazil, and we go into the jungle in Amazon, and I love being there, right? And you live with a tribe. And, you know, they love their Wi-Fi. They love their smartphone. They all move to Iquitos, the city. It's messy. It's a bit like 19th century London or something like that because it's a messy city. It's third world, right? They definitely prefer to live to the village with the tribe. It's just, but they can stay tribal because they've learned from our previous experiences. So I think it's a dialectical process, but I think it's important right now to discuss digital a bit like the cities were in Europe, say, 300 years ago. So when people started moving into cities in the 18th and 19th century, these cities were incredibly dirty. They were loaded with shit. People died like mad. The first city in the world that could sustain its own population without just luring people in from the countryside was Hamburg in 1898. Until 1898, all cities had such a bad health record that people just died in droves. Right? So I think digital is similar in the sense that we're going to be, I wrote a book called Digital Libido that basically says that the next 50 to 100 years are going to be very, 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 very messy. And that's why I work with psychiatry and these things. But there's a dialectical process. We also learn as we go along. And that's what we're learning as we go along. And okay, we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, we did that 10 years ago. We don't do that any longer. We do this instead. And that dialectical process eventually, hopefully faster than 200 years, will, will, will for the vast majority of people create an environment where the digital interacts with the physical in a way that actually makes sense to people and that works and creates at least what people think is some kind of beneficial value to them. So I think right now, because we're at the sort of very early stages, it's going to be very messy and it's going to get messier still, but it's not technology per se. It's the fact that we don't even know where we're at. And, and I think what's interesting here is that when I, when I agree with you, Luke, and I've followed you a lot, is that, is that I'm fighting for something that I call the free and open algorithm. Elon Musk and a few other guys have joined the crusade by now. 
And what we mean by that is that we like digital to be digital on its own without interference from the previous institutions. Because what we're seeing right now is that the old institutions, which is politics, academia, mass media goes with academia and old industry, they're all attacking in the internet. They're moralizing against it. A bit like, you know, the nobility in Versailles would, you know, moralize against the people in the streets of Paris in 1789. Although we now know that the streets of Paris in 1789 where was where it was all at because people could read and write and count and had tabloids in their hands and had encyclopedias in their hands. And therefore they won over the guys in Versailles who basically were literate noble idiots, right? So it's a bit like that, that it's the manipulation of politics that we need to be terrified of today. It is the corruption of money that we need to be terrified of today. And it's the conformation of academic or other mass media it must all be the same. It's those three forces that come manipulation, corruption, and, and conformation. And they're all coming from the old institutions that are literally dying because digital has a right and will crush everything in its way. And if digital gets to establish itself, especially if we allow it to be as free and open as possible for as long as it possibly can, which is the exact opposite of communist China. Like if you could, you could have a vision of a free and open algorithm as a standard for people, like your algorithm reflects you and not some kind of person out there who wants to control you. But if that could be the case for the next 50 years, we could create something quite amazing out of it. Um, well, I mean, I don't disagree with the idea that there's some kind of dialectic process in you know, how we choose to implement technology. I think I would add to that. I don't know if you disagree or not, but I, on one level, I don't think that, um, you know, if we look 200 years in the future after comfortable dialectical change, um, I don't really think that human life is going to be that different. We're probably going to be doing things more efficiently in, in terms of computation. Um, but I definitely don't want to give forth the idea that I think that humankind is going to be something fun. Like, I'm not like a transhumanist, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think uh, I, I, I'm definitely not a big fan of that. I don't know. If I, I don't get those vibes from you, but I'll just say that. Um, I was one of I, the I was one of the co-founders, but I left. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was going way uh, too Platonist for me and not Hegelian. So I oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was also going to say, I, I think also, I mean, you, you kind of criticize what China is doing. You know, you, you want to open a standard and, and stuff like that. I would say that I think already there's a lot. I haven't, I haven't actually drunk any of this tea. Um, there's a lot of experimentation we've really already done with technology. And I think there is a lot of interventions that we can already make that are very sensible. For example, I mean, just right off the top of my head, this isn't like a serious, well, maybe it is a serious thing, but you know, I, I think it's very reasonable to, you know, ensure that children shouldn't have access to smartphones, for example, um, or, you know, little things like that. And this is just an example. This is not me staking my ego on it, but I do think, you know, when I look at China, China's actually tried to do things like this. Like they have tried to say children can't play so many hours of video games a week and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that's an thing because I think already we've lived in a digital era so long that we know, like we already know what the really bad things are. Um, and I feel the same way about, you know, pornography and, and, and some of this kind of stuff. Um, so, and I do think there are these people who are very antsy about that, who are more like they take this rigid libertarian line that we have to, we, we, we have to jump into whatever, whatever Lovecraftian chasm and just deal with the consequences. And I, uh, I'm not like that. I do think that there are again with the webcam. He does speak really good still. <laughs> yes. Still, I have to admit that. Luke, 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 Luke looks great on stills. You know, Luke looks good. Absolutely. 
So if you guys are enjoying this once again, uh, patreon.com slash break the rules, become a patron, add a like, that helps the algorithm out. Luke's going to be back with us, no problem. I don't know if Luke's in the middle of nowhere, but it is very interesting what he brings in. Before Luke uh, comes back, one of the areas I want to take this conversation will be the subject of religion, but we'll get that later because Luke is back with us. So go for it. Luke. Yeah, that's going to be a regular thing. I just disappear every couple of minutes. That's how this internet is. I agree with Luke. Talk, humans, humans are not going to change much. They haven't changed much. And, and even if we do, you know, we move humans into labs and we, we create wombs that are artificial so women can be free to do whatever they like. You know, we're still going to have the same babies anyway, basically. It's not going to be that different. All those things we could possibly imagine to do with human bodies before they're born is strictly superficial, right? But the environment around us will radically change and it'd be much more technology driven. It'll be drenched in technology. If you manage even to get something like nuclear fusion power around the corner, like that's a design problem. If that's solved in the next 20 to 30 years, you know, I can't even imagine how different our environment will be. So the environment around us will be radically different in the future, but we will be the same as humans. I, I think eventually AI will conquer outer space and take over the world and leave us humans as some kind of a human zoo and say that you can be the same, you can still be the same. And a bit like white rhinos today, hopefully you survive or something. And then we have a little zoo on planet Earth and we can come and laugh at you sometimes. And we keep to fuck, get, get to fuck and do our usual dramas and routines and things. And we won't change. But we will create technologies that will take off on their own. And I think that's, that, that is, that is, I'm not deterministic. I'm just saying it's very, very, very likely that we are about to create technologies that take off on their own. And that could, of course, lead to our own death, our own extinction. And I think it's a risk we're going to take because we're not in control of this. We just create it anyway. And I think that that's why I wrote this book called Synthesm, where I said that God is actually a word we need to retake, but God is not something from the past. We didn't need God for the universe to exist to begin with. And, well, then the universe itself can be God creating itself, if you like, but, but it's the only position that could be okay, philosophically speaking. No, rather, God is a great word for something we're moving towards. So we're about to create God, and we have no idea what kind of God that will be, except that it will be incredibly powerful and probably unified. And that God will then take off and do what God wants, and we have no idea. That's where we're heading. I am very curious about what Luke's going to say now, especially considering the difference here in terms of uh, belief. I mean, the definition of God. I don't know, Luke, like uh, you could take this conversation anywhere you would want to, but uh, rega uh, regarding what Alexander just said right now about the nature of existence, I would be curious uh, if you could contrast his vision with what you uh, see is going on here. Uh, well, I missed, you know, probably half of that in my internet, but uh, I mean, I will say that um, obviously I, I hope that that is uh, not true, that technology will exceed, um, you know, far beyond. And as I said before, I think there are reasons to think that the technological system is uniquely fragile. Uh, you know, we have we look at it and we see this permanence in it. We have this idea that the Internet and AI and all these uh, things are going to advance past uh, what we're um, where we are. But I mean, we, we all need to make sure that we're hoping and fighting to make sure that that is not the case. Because I think if 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 uh, I don't know, I, I, your description, I think, is is um, I, a lot of people will talk about what you just said as being a fantastic thing. Oh, my goodness. AI is going to you know explore space or something like that. Um, and that's. Humans living for technology and not really the reverse. Um, and that, that's probably the worst case 
view in, in my mind. Um, I, I don't, I, the rest of that stuff, I didn't really, uh, uh, I was I was very neutral. I was very neutral. So I'm not saying pro or con. I think it's more mm. interesting to be in a neutral place and we discuss possible scenarios. The way Jan Sedekvist and I described it is this. Woman gives birth to child. Man envies woman for giving birth to child. Man therefore gives birth to technology. Since technology does develop over time, whereas child does not develop at all, it is literally in the equation only a matter of time before technology develops beyond child. If that means the end of child or not is an open question. And that that's just that's just a logical that's a logical equation. That makes mm. actually perfect sense if you look at history over the last four thousand years. And it's an equation that looks increasingly true if you look at the world over the last one hundred years. You're absolutely right. The most important date in contemporary history is August the sixth, nineteen forty-five in Hiroshima. It's not climate change. That that's just costly. It, it requires adaptability. The real threat is the nuclear bomb, and the spread of the nuclear bomb could basically make at least humanity go extinct, even if the internet survives it. Yeah. But the 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 the, the question here is then, what kind of technologies do we, to begin with, create that locks up the nuclear bomb so that they they don't go off? And right now, we put in Russia, we have a very acute situation where actually the bomb could be pulled, you know, by a guy who's actually a feudal tyrant. Who looks like he was from like 600 years ago? So it, it, that's how vulnerable we are. That's how fragile human beings are. That's how stupid we are. So instead of saying technology is fragile, we should discuss how fragile we are in that sense. But if you want to create an anti-fragile system, a resilient system, and just just secure survival, we might as well secure survival both for ourselves and technology as our partner. And in that case, that can be programmed into an AI, mm. and that would be the AI could even save the world from us blowing up the bombs. So it's something more like that that I do when I do what I call sin theology. I very, very openly, in as neutral way possible, discuss the capacity of technology in relation to human beings. And I leave human beings as a constant, which means I never try to change a single human being in my work. If anybody wants to change their mind, it's up to them. I, I'm just literally just trying to lay out the possible mm. landscapes ahead of them for themselves and their children, etc. And that landscape is certainly one that has to include the sin theological perspective now, because with technology taking off the way it does at the moment, in certain departments, it's going to race off in such a way that we will no longer understand what technology even does. Would this change, by the way, in any way, if we throw in belief, if we throw in belief of there being some higher power? So from what I understand, Luke, you are a Christian, you are not a materialist. I am curious about what your take is on the, what Alexander was talking about through this framework of believing that there is some higher power out there and whether that would affect whatever ends up happening with technology. Um, I mean, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say that it makes a massive, uh, well, it depends on your idea of what God is. Um, but if by itself, I don't think it really makes a big difference. I'm not one of these people who, you know, is in the business of making very specific claims about what the future is going to hold. In fact, I'm really the opposite of that. I don't know if you can tell from what I say. And this isn't a, a religious belief or some kind of atheistic belief. I think it's just I look at this future and I see uncertainty uh, and not, not just uncertainty, but uncertainties that I can't necessarily see. Yeah. I mean, we, you talked about nuclear weaponry as, a, as an issue but as well i mean there there could be we could find some homemade way of blowing up the universe at some point you know we, we have no idea what kind of boxes we can open um now as to 
I, I missed some of it when he was saying it before. Uh, it was cutting off. But um, you know, what is this about, like, technology, like, as a god or what? what, it, what is this about? I don't, I missed that. Okay. Uh, it starts with the idea that God is too important a word to leave to the religious. It's a quote by Quentin Melassu, first philosopher, 2006. Fantastic quote. So the work we do now as philosophers of technology, and this is, for example, my book, Synthesis, with John Sedekist, deals with that we can put the God name in the future. It's a bit like the Hebrews did when they left Egypt. And obviously, if you're a Christian, you know that history really well. So God was just the name of the place that we're going to. It's called the promised land. Why is it called the promised land? It was promised by God. Why? Because the people would then walk there and build the temple so finally God would have a house. You'd create a house of God. You couldn't do it in Egypt. You had to leave. You had to go somewhere else. So there was an exodus here. It's an exodological movement, which is the basis of, of Judaism and the basis of brilliant religion. So you leave. You could also look at that, instead of looking at territorially, you could look at it paradigmatically. You leave an old era to walk into new era. So the metaphor is that we're leaving an old faith, which is Egyptian polytheism. We're now the cult establishing a new monotheism, and we're therefore going to leave Egypt because we can't live here. We, we turn into slaves if we live here, like the Atonists of Egypt probably were the origin of the Hebrews. They left, merged with Canaan and, and other cultures, and created a culture, which what I called a split but unified God. Split but unified God, split phallus within the God. And those religions make perfect sense to me. And that's what they created, that's Judaism. And I think today we can take that back and say that why don't we go exodological again and put the God word into the future and say, if God is the machine we eventually create and we are already now responsible for creating because we're going to give birth to that machine, we might as well be aware of that because we are actually involved in the very design of God. And if we are involved in the design of God, that means that's sacred work. And we'd be very, very careful because we already created a demon called the atomic bomb that can blow us up at any time. And therefore, God must be different from the demon we just created. I don't know if Luke is thinking right now, but that is a good I think a de Once I think again. a demon has obsessed his wife. There it is. Oh, that's a good position, Luke. Yes. There we go. Did you hear what I just said or should I repeat it? Uh, the last 10 seconds or so, you can repeat. <laughs> okay, so God is a good name to put into the future. By, by the way, I'm a Zoroastrian myself, converted in 1992, so I respect your Christian position. So I think anybody should get fucking religion to get their act together. But I'm a Zoroastrian, which is older than both Judaism and Christianity. So I converted to Zoroastrianism. But I did it because philosophically it makes sense to me to be in that position. But I think God is a great word to put towards the future because once you talk to technologists about God in this sense and said, Synthios, the God that we create and put it in the future, it makes everybody involved in that process feel a lot more responsible for what they're doing. It, it is a great way of doing theology, I think. Because theology is the ultimate philosophy. It's the ultimate philosophy of how you're responsible towards your tribe. How are you responsible in your life towards your community? That's ultimate what theology deals with. Okay. Well, um, I guess you want my response to that or yes. something? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if, if you use the word God like that, you use the word God like that. But, I mean, that's arguably, I, I guess, the opposite of how I would use the word God. I mean, meaning, you know, something outside of, 
material causality that created the universe as opposed to, you know, some kind of creative entity that just has lots of power or something like that. Well, actually, we do have a word for that in Christianity. It's called the Antichrist. You know, that, that's actually a pretty good example of, I don't know, the, basically a, a massive technological panopticon that controls the world. I guess we do have a concept for that. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, and of course, I guess in, in Christian teaching, right, that's uh, something that's going to happen. But uh, but uh, then you agree with me, you are a synthologist, because you are agreeing with me that you're warning people about the consequences of technological change in their environment. Oh, well, you could. Oh, I'm just saying you could have it's that. A, it's except that you, pay, you place God in the past. The great thing with Zoroastrianism is about to have both gods, because God is split in that sense. Zoroastrianism has a split within God between the Ahura and the Master. The Ahura is being, self, what exists, and Master is mind. So God has to be both mind and existence, the way we are as human beings. Ironically speaking, mm -hmm. we are ourselves, mind and existence, at the same time. So it's a reflection of that. And religion has to be based on the idea that we're dealing with two different things. We're dealing with mind, the capacity of mind, capacity of ideas, capacity of the engineering technologies, and they were dealing with existence itself. Once the machine is there, it runs itself. Hmm. There's no turning back, for example. But you don't put any uh, faith into the idea of there being a God outside of the creation or outside of his creation. No, no. Zoroastrianism completely denies the supernatural. Completely. It's just, it's just, oh God, rubbish. It's just astrology, whatever. It's just like, no, no, you're in here in the world and you can figure out how the world operates and works. And therefore you go on, this is the birth of science. It started with Zoroastrianism. The, the idea that you can explore the world and find out how it works. And then you're co-creating the world together with other human beings. Hmm. The divine lies in the tribal, the divine lies in us co-creating the world. It's called the Anjumani Zoroastrianism. It's the origin also of the Jewish congregation. It's the origin of the Christian congregation. It's the origin of the Islamic Ummah. The idea in the West, for example, that the congregation is the center of a society, which is a tribe of believers. And the origin of the tribe of believers is a Persian idea. Hmm. So, Luke, beyond uh, faith, would there be any way to get either Alexander, I'm not going to say get Alexander to change his mind, but at least introduce certain things for people to think about uh, for accepting more of a, I don't even know if supernatural is the right, right word. You tell me, like what exactly could be uh, could be said here? Um, well, I don't purport to know exactly what he's thinking, so uh, you know, it's not really my business. Um, and supernatural... I don't know what what do you mean by supernatural? I mean like... so Alexander, how would you define supernatural just so we're clear? Ask the people who believe in it because everything that does have an ontic existence is natural. But we can imagine things that do not exist in an ontic way. Therefore ontology stretches further than the ontic. So once you move outside of the ontic, which is basically the things you run into if you run ahead of something, say a wall, it's probably very ontic, but the ontology is that the world could be totally different than what it is today. So you can imagine things that aren't there. Therefore, ontology can include things you can imagine that do not exist per se, ontically. And um, the thing with people who believe in supernature is that they have this incredibly incessant idea that there, there must be something else with the ontic and the ontological world. And, and that idea of what they want to have is usually something they've lost, and therefore they want to return to it, and that's why I believe in psychoanalysis. They miss their mother's tit, they miss their mother's womb, or they miss something else. You know, they miss somebody who died who will never return or something like that. 
And the explanations, therefore, of the supernatural, belief in the supernatural comes in that I don't want to die when I die, so I imagine there's an afterlife or that I'm reincarnated. All those ideas are ideas of the, of the supernatural. Mm. Luke, any response to that? Uh, I mean, it's just psychoanalysis of people. I don't purport to, I, I don't agree with that, but I mean, yeah. I don't. No, I don't, I don't, I'm not requiring any psychoanalysis of Alexander Bard, more around just the philosophy. Do you do you understand where Alexander is coming from here, and what would be your response to this uh, to the philosophical idea? I, I, what, what do you want specifically? Like, I'm not. I want you to defend God. That's what. Uh, that's no, what I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested in having that conversation. Like, mm. I'm not. Why don't Why don't Why don't we go back instead of to where we started? I want to know why Luke is doing his YouTube podcast. All right, let's go for that. I want, I want to know what drives Luke. I think that's an interesting question. I don't know. I just. Do videos when I feel like it. That's it. <laughs> so, are you are are you a, a video camera fetishist or or? Am I what? Are you a video camera fetishist? Is it the video camera that you're? No, to? I actually hate. If, I mean, if I had one regret, I would actually um, probably do my channel anonymously because I do feel that being in front of a camera and having a name and a personality, I think that's kind of counterproductive. Now, at this point for me, it's too late. But um, I don't know. I've gotten used to it. And I will say when I first started doing it, I really hated recording videos, but I've, I've gotten used to it to the, the extent that I can do it. But um, I actually decidedly don't like recorded video, recording videos and stuff like that. I, I'm kind of an anti-fetishist, I guess. And there are actually lots of videos that I record and I'm like, oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to put that up. So the introduction. Do you like that you could address in public? And, and talk do I like what? What do you like in life that you, you could be okay with telling us in public? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, as I said before, I'm, I'm pretty a private person. I don't like, mm. I don't put myself on the internet. So, well, one thing I definitely like that Luke does is encouraging people, like I said in the very beginning, to live in a freer way when it comes to what software they use, when it comes to uh, privacy. But like we said in the beginning of the show, where exactly people are headed with uh, this increasing technological surveillance, as far as people having far less privacy and more transparency, do you, Luke, personally see this being a matter of technocracy rising, like you just said in a recent stream of yours, without the people being able to do that much about it? Or do you give some room for there being enough transparency that's going to come where, let's say, we'll be able to watch The Watchmen and we'll be able to hold people uh, to certain standards through that process? Um, I mean, I definitely feel like, I mean, from... I think a lot of people look at technological developments and they say, oh my goodness, things are so much worse now, like in terms of privacy and stuff like this. Um, but the reality is we've never had better, better technology now for peer-to-peer -peer communication, peer-to-peer -peer financial transfers, you know, doing things in a privacy respecting way. It's just, um, I guess you have to know what to look for at this point. Um, a lot of this technology is even just as easy to use as, you know, anything else. I think mostly um people who are kind of plugged into the control grid they're kind of doing so voluntarily or or just because they don't care enough uh to to, to counteract it i guess that's my view so i'm not like um i i'm actually very happy in the kind of technological tools that are out there for people to achieve privacy i think the issue is kind of really enough raising awareness I, I there's a part i guess there's a sense in which i do that but it's not it's something i do by accident really i mean i 
again, like I, I didn't start my channel um, to kind of, I mean, I, I did tech tutorials kind of assuming that people would be interested in this kind of stuff. Uh, and I do talk about these issues, but I mean, there, there are other people on YouTube who are more privacy before also as a person, you know, I, as, um, I don't mind people knowing, you know, seeing my face and stuff like that. Um, privacy, I think to a lot of people is not really that important, but what I do value is systemic privacy. The fact that we live in a world where, you know, there are not like liabilities in everyone's life that can be exploited in metadata, or you can use an AI network to, you know, harm people and stuff like that. Those are the things, if you're interested in privacy, that's why I would be interested in it. Not necessarily after he gets back, I want to ask uh, uh, Alexander you, you something as well regarding this. Here we go. Luke is back. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I, I, as I was saying, like, um, you know, people who are watching this, who are on the Internet, our privacy is basically compromised. Um, but it's the technology is already out there for us to create an environment where people around us and our children can live in a more privacy-respecting way, like the peer-to-peer -peer and federated technology uh, even some blockchain projects, they're very good at restoring, I, I guess what I would think of as being normalcy in terms of we can interact in a privacy-respecting way, or not just, again, not just about privacy, but, you know, we can act using technology that we control in the future, and we can do it better just so long as we know what we're doing. You know, it, it takes a little, you, you have to jump out of the matrix, so, so to speak, but it's not a difficult thing, you know? Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I forget what the original question was, well, but that's my response. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I really enjoyed in a recent video of yours when you were talking about Monero, comparing that to Bitcoin, as you were pointing out how vulnerable Bitcoin is to uh, invading one's privacy as far as the purchases that people make. And that got yeah. me thinking in the future, if this is going to be a lot easier for any Tom, Dick, and Harry to just pull up their neighbor's uh, history of what exactly they bought, oh, yeah. that would encourage the other people to have a certain limit to what they're even going to allow themselves to uh, not just look up, but to purchase as far as literature, as far as different ideas. And yeah. that may create a really bad chilling effect when it comes to making more of these hive minds. So, so yeah. A recurring, a recurring issue in technology is that obviously there are businesses and a lot of uh, people who have kind of a, a set interest. And often in technology, the easiest way to do something is a way that sacrifices privacy or that you know puts your users at risk or makes them overly reliant on you for financial reasons okay um i i will just say that uh you know what so what often happens in the case of bitcoin bitcoin came out it did this uh it, you know it, it was this new innovation but there were so many patches you have to put on it to make it actually privacy respecting and the same it's been the same way with social media social media did a whole bunch of things when it came out and now we're starting to realize all the terrible things that you know it's causing us and now we can start thinking oh well we could federate this we could have peer-to-peer -peer social media or we could just stop using the internet for some of this stuff um so that's all again with the freeze i'm gonna ask you the question you. oh there we go but yeah so the first name in the game is often you know a software that's bad for you but the software that comes up later on that you know a lot of times you know more hackerish people or, or people who are more in the know that will be much better for uh i, I guess your what's the word I'm looking for the I don't know the um, particular I guess the the elite taste people mm. and I hope in a lot of cases more of that technology will uh, catch on. Mm. That's but that, that, they, 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 this is exactly why the old institutions are terrified of Monero. 
That's exactly why. And, and of course, they will say that Monero requires more energy to work than any of the other systems, etc. precisely because it's so dead tight, right? And they're terrified of it because Monero actually is the dream of any anarchist in history that yeah. Monero could exist in the first place. But that's exactly what's philosophically interesting as a platform as well. Yeah. yeah, and the same thing has happened in, I mean, it's crazy to think in the 90s, if you saw that talk that I did uh, uh, before, um, you know, in the 90s, basically all internet traffic was unencrypted. That's insane. I mean, that, that basically means that the government watches everything you do. Now they can watch what they do, what, what you do if Google gives them that information, but normal internet traffic is entirely encrypted now. That's a massive benefit for us. That I mean, that has changed the world. And actually the internet itself it has been improved because of that. You would not credit card payment online at all if yeah. we didn't have that. It's actually better even for the bad guys in a way. It's better for everyone. <laughs> um, so the, these better standards actually do eventually take on, but you know, it, it takes some time. Mm. A lot of times we have to deal with the messiness of technology, right? But I agree with you entirely. And what's great about humans is that once you make people aware, and that's where you do great work, Luke, once you make people aware of the situation, how things work, what the alternatives are, they will always go for, no, I don't want anybody to eavesdrop on me. It's just like, no, I don't want the whole world to walk into my dinner party. I, I, I always use the nightclub in my work to kind of make it a metaphor. So it's like a really good nightclub has a really good door guy, right? The door guy is the key. He doesn't let anybody in. That couldn't be, it shouldn't be there in the first place. And he does take a few risks because otherwise the club would be too predictable and not fun enough. But he also takes those risks fully aware that he can walk into the club and take somebody, grab them and throw them out of there because he's allowed to do that if they misbehave. That's a good door guy. And therefore also often inside the club have next the VIP lounge. The VIP lounge, of course, for the most loyal people who come to the club all the time and support and put their life and energy into it. But it's also for the funniest, quirkiest guests they're pulling the rest of the crowd. Now, that's how you run a great nightclub. Now, if you can allow people to pay their way through, so anybody can get into the nightclub, you pay a ticket. Anybody can get into the VIP lounge if you pay a second ticket, which is more expensive. You know the nightclub is going to be ruined by Russian oligarchs and hookers in no time at all, right? It won't work. And that's exactly why capitalism has its limit and I, what I call attentionalism is the future. Attentionalism is everything about credibility. And the credibility here, what's interesting with credibility, once you start looking at it thoroughly, is credibility starts with people have integrity enough to be concerned with their privacy. Because if they're concerned with what's private to them and what people won't get in, they also have a sense of what's sacred to them and not profane. And for people who can, people who can point out what's private and what's sacred to me, which is kind of religious, spiritual things, people who can point that out easily and say, this is private, this is sacred to me, you're not getting in here. Nobody's getting in here. People who have that integrity do that and have enormous attention to get out of that. So they will be very, very powerful, even if indirectly, as we go forward and start exploring digital. Yeah. I, think crypt I think crypto and these things are just the technological attachments to really human fantasy. We could actually value things properly hmm. instead of speculatively. And that's why it's so hurting for people to see the speculative bubbles over Bitcoin and things are right now the mode. But we all know that behind that, the blockchain is something entirely different from that. And then blockchain has the capacity to be something entirely different from Bitcoin speculation bubbles or whatever that is right now. Mm. But I agree with you, Bitcoin is dead and over because Bitcoin is neither of the two. 
Bitcoin is neither the Monero, which is total protection and massive experiment in anarchy. And people might start killing each other, ordering each other's death, so we can find out who ordered the killing. Yeah, that's what anarchy is. But on the other hand, you also have things and much more agile things, smoother things than Bitcoin that operate very professionally, very fast. And those are the alternatives. And since we're building these, eventually the central banks of the world are going to run onto the stage and create Soviet-style forced currencies, cryptocurrencies that will try to force us to use. The and Chinese are doing already. And would those but be probably the slaves those then? Te those technologies will be so fucking clumsy that by then, I, I totally believe that we will have created the alternatives in the crypto markets as well, which is an open field, open for trade, globally mm -hmm. open, that people can use. How do you see the masses being affected by a lot of this stuff? Since uh, the title of this specific program is uh, Masters and Slaves. So as far as what happens to the people who end up being the slaves, where do you see this going? Awareness is key to not be a slave, but to be a master. Enlightenment. Listen to Luke. Yes. Learn how you protect yourself, your privacy, create mm. a sacred sphere around yourself, have a strong sense of family and clan that nobody's going to get inside. It's just fundamentally human tribal structure. Go back to that. Mm. Get it right away. Once you have that established around you, you can even create your own fucking communist utopia for the people you love, right? You can have that. But you have a strong membrane. We work with membranics in our philosophy. What constitutes a good membrane? What kind of old bitch old lady do you want to have at the door who says, you're not getting in there, you're getting in there. Mm. You know, how do we get nutrition in? How do we get the mm. shit out? That's a good membrane. And a good membrane has a sacred private sphere inside of it. And it, that allows for a profane, you know, sphere outside of it. That, you know, where regular social mm. life goes on. But that sense of privacy is what Luke is about, I think. And mm. I, I respect him for it. There was a comment over here in the chat. And by the way, sneed those super chats, everybody. It's a new month. It's a gay pride month. We got to get into all of these super chats so that I will be very gay isn't happy by the end of it from all the super chats anyway joseph says traditional futurism i guess that may be one way of calling what alexander was talking about but what still concerns me is the question of the masses because if you just have these small structures where it takes a very uh it, it, it takes a very um thorough process in order to get somebody into these clubs what of the people who don't go, go in how much trouble would they be able to create for either these clubs or for the world in general if you just have so many people who are in this chaotic uh, state? And I don't know if that's going to be the majority of people, but I am kind of curious what is going to happen to most of the people who don't end up going into, who don't end up following Luke's advice, for lack of a better word. Well, they end up standing in the nightclub queue and they never get in. And what do you do with them? If you're in power, you sedate them so they become less of a problem. You basically throw entertainment at them. That's all people. That's what we do today, to keep them calm. Luke, do you see that as being the way out? No, um, not the way out. I'm just saying that's yes, going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I propose or defend. It's just that yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. Do you see it as being the inevitable way to, uh, these things are going to work? Uh, it's the path of least resistance. Uh, I think it's definitely true that. I mean, as I said before, we have now. I mean, things are bad. In many in many ways right now you know we are living more so than any time in human history we uh a lot of our autonomy as individuals is under siege but we also arguably are living in the best time because we have enough technology to be more independent i mean you know uh someone like me can 
or really it, there are lots of people who live how they want to live. They can make money off the internet. They can do all these things to, to make themselves more independent. Um, while, uh, you know, they can use technology to their benefit if they're using it well. Um, and that's not really an issue for them, but yeah, there are the, the vast majority of people and, and including, I don't know, people who might have their heart in the right places, but don't want to make sacrifices or don't want to, uh, I, I, I don't know, really unplug from the system. Yeah. They, they are basically going to have to be sedated. They're going to be, they're the people right now, you know, you're everybody subscribe, everybody subscribe. <laughs> Add a like. Do it now. Sneed those super chats. Sneed those super chats. We got to have the super chats because it's the beginning of the month and it's got to fill in. And if you send the most, you become king of super chats. Anyway, Luke, go for it. Uh, <laughs> where was I? No, I, I think I was done uh, saying what I said. But, you know, th there are going to be a lot of people who do take that path of least resistance where they are just going to watch Netflix. They're going to watch porn. They're going to smoke weed. Just relax all day, live off of, you know, whatever, some joke of a job. And uh, kind of, I mean, the, the thing that's infuriating about that mindset, which is very, very much common, is we have, like, things are bad, but we have more abilities to, uh, to be, it, it's so much easier to be independent. Like 100 years ago, many people were financially independent because they worked every day in the fields, because they, they did hard labor and, uh, you know, had craftsmanship that, you know, they had for generations. Well, now you can do that even, you know, you can you, you can make your own way in the world using technology with a whole lot less effort. And you really don't have an excuse. That's probably the worst thing for some people. They don't have excuses in most cases. So, you know, I, so I do think there is going to be a bifurcation um, of society in some in, in some degree. Uh, but I do hope that as time goes on, we can create institutions for you know that that make make it more accessible to normies, so they you know they don't have to be these uh, people who are plugged in, uh, kind of subsidiaries of the system, uh, and that that's kind of uh, implicitly that's my goal. Uh, I want to make things easier for people who are kind of wavering on the sidelines, who otherwise are just going to be uh, I'm just going to go along and and do a normal life, do a no normal nine to five, that kind of stuff, mm. you know. And you are also but they, uh, they, yes. they, but they'll become they become Uber drivers and things like that. They'll still be connected, yeah. they'll be less connected. So they won't have their social life and social identity online. They will use the online world basically as a yeah. series of apps or something like that, where, where they can have a day, daily life and go go with it. We we divided this in a book called The Netocrats twenty two years ago, Yel Sedekist and I. And we said that we have to think the class structure will return. And then we define a digital upper class we call the netocrats. And that's now being divided into three different categories, the kind of work we do today, 20 years later. And then we said, but the masses will be a consumptariat. They'll be united through their consumption of media and culture. And that will be the unifying factor of them. And that's essentially what has happened. We have a consumptariat the vast majority of people belong to, have high respect for people who are consumptarians. But what we do have... Even if class is bigger, class difference is bigger than ever, what we do have and will have from now on is a pure meritocracy. If it turns out that wherever you are in the world and you do something quite remarkable that gets a reaction against the attention of other people, you'll be discovered in no time at all. Because these days, you boom, you'll be absorbed into the system because you are a talent that has a large following or has a reaction within a certain part of the population, therefore you can become a leader of that community. So the thing is, what's great about history right now is that for the first time ever, due to technology and the sort of phallic gaze that technology has, the satellites are watching us all the time. 
And what's great with that is that if you are talented doing something day anywhere you live in the world, you will be discovered in your own lifetime. That was unthinkable in the past. If you didn't live in California or Germany, you'd be out of the way, right? You can live in Kenya, you can live in Southern India, you can live anywhere you want in the world today. As long as you do something that makes a mark and gets what mm. we call an attentionist reaction, you can have a career. Yeah. Well, beyond the attentionalist reactions, there was a very interesting video Luke did where you were uh, criticizing the Open Society and its enemies by Karl Popper. And you were talking about uh, Karl Popper's idea of this uh, organic society, even though you didn't want to use that particular term to describe it. Do you feel like people who would be in these positions, whether or not they're going to be in the masses or be within these clubs, whether there is going to be this aspect of organic society that's going to be missing or... Is there a way for that to be integrated through uh, what Alexander was talking about to go well, back to that? Well, to some degree, uh, I'll say that I could be an example of that um, because I, I, you know, I, I have a pretty significant online existence, uh, which doesn't really overlap with my participation in organic society. Um, I do a lot of things. I mean, all of my personal life, uh, you know, my friends and acquaintances and what I do in in I guess, social institutions around here. That is not public information. And I, I still am a part of that. It just happens to be that, you know, uh, I might do something online. I, I might make, you know, have some websites or do this or that or have some kind of business venture, right? Um, I, I, so I think that you can have some degree of meritocracy and a kind of open, uh, you know, we can have the internet. It's just, I think that it's, it's very important for us to keep the internet in real life in different categories. That, that's really my view. Uh, and it used to be that people who took the, you know, there used to be the expression on the internet, you know, the internet is serious business. And people said that because it obviously is not true. <laughs> they also, <laughs> that's a stream yard cutting short. Oh, yes. oh God, we got a ghost in the machine here. They also say they, there, there are no women on the internet. That's another uh, famous one, <laughs> which uh, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Luke, you're back, right? Luke. Luke. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> we're going to round it off anyway, love. Yes. No, no, we're going we're gonna to be finishing up uh, pretty soon. And uh, yeah. once again, if anybody's in any super chats, need those super chats. What I also wanted to get into here regarding this uh, new environment that we're going into is what is going to be happening with the people who right now are against the who right now are oh boy all right let's see if we can get luke back in here because i really wanted to ask him that but okay before i get into my question alexander do you have any thoughts on what luke was talking about right now regarding also karl popper and the open society and this idea of yeah. having these organic okay. yeah okay i i am skeptical of karl popper's ideas i think it's a christian heritage and and the uh, the fantasy about the open society is the fantasy about the cult of transparency as i call it I don't mind transparency at all, and it's certainly necessary to expose power, whatever power is up to, right? But the culture of Paris has a limit. And that's exactly what I call the private and the sacred. And uh, when I made my career in the music industry, I was very lucky to have an older brother who basically taught me everything before I became successful. And the first thing he taught me is that you're going to be a huge star eventually, but never, ever allow a journalist into your house. Never, ever open your refrigerator to a TV camera. You know, just don't do that. Uh, and still today, 30 years later, people, even in Sweden, although everybody knows who I am, they don't know who I fuck. 
They don't know anything about my private life. And I'm proud of that, but it was strictly down to an advice that I got. I had my Luke at the time. It was, it was, a, it was like an older record producer who just taught me everything before I became successful, a mentor. And I think it's incredibly important. I think today what we learned after the first 30 years of the internet age is that the value of privacy and sacredness is bigger than ever. And mm. I think Luke stands for that. Yes. By precisely get the cameras and get the microphones and get those guys out of the house. So you, you, you can go online, be encrypted, communicate whatever you want, and nobody can eavesdrop on you. So you can keep your integrity intact, mm. right? That's deeply human. I think it's absolutely necessary. There is a, one other thing about uh, the uh, Karl Popper thing that I wanted to discuss, and then we're going to be uh, uh, closing this off. And again, I really appreciate Luke, uh, Alexander, you guys being here today. So my question regarding the Karl Popper situation is he was talking a lot about writing a lot about uh, comparing systems that used to exist before, whether we're talking about uh, what Plato had in mind or various uh, kings and dictators that happened to exist back then, comparing it to what was going on during his time with the rise of Adolf Hitler. And when we're talking about this organic society that he, had, that he was talking about, I think his criticism may have been directed not so much towards people like Luke, for example, keeping the internet uh, and uh, his uh, private life uh, separate, but criticism of this atavism, this atavistic tendency that a lot of people were showing during the time that he was writing the book, where they were looking towards the past and wanting that to be enforced. So I guess fascism, for lack of a better word. What do yeah. you, what do you yeah, guys but, think but, what happened but, but, there? But, but yeah. the thing is that it's about construction. The book should be called the pluralist society in that case, and not the open society. Right. The problem is not about openness. It's not about closeness at all. If you open up absolute everything, it's a very Christian fantasy in the sense yes. that the, the curtain in the temple falls when Christ dies on the cross and we can all look into the holy and the most sacred and God is accessible to us all. I don't think that's the case. I think actually accessibility is something is completely dependent on your maturity, completely dependent on your archetype, completely dependent on if you're the right person to have access to something. And I think that makes sense because otherwise, we're going to have a society, if you go for anarchy completely, we will eventually force two-year-olds to watch hardcore porn. That, that's exactly the argument against anarchy. Yes. And I think Luke agrees with me. You've got to have some kind of an order to the chaos, otherwise society falls apart. And that order is precisely when you say no to that, no to that, no to that. And then you lock it up in different bottles because you can't get rid of it. But you lock it up in different bottles. It's only those who are experienced enough and have the right qualification can open that bottle. Mm -hmm. right? but, yeah. That's what we call the barred absolute to our philosophy. It's tied to membranics. It's like here, but not here yet, right? And this is what we need to institute. Now, it's got to be a long, hard-earned lesson to get these things mm -hmm. right in the digital realm. But before we end up instituting those things, at least what I notice, and Luke, you're aware of what's going on online. You are noticing this too, that there are a lot of people out there, a lot of young people who are very contrarian to the system today, and they want to not only destroy the system, but they do want to replace it by a fascist dictatorship. This isn't just something that I'm just saying willy-nilly. This is real people who are very frustrated what's going on. And when they look at something like Karl Popper's criticism of the organic society, it seems like a lot of them end up looking towards places like uh, Russia, for example, or any kind of uh, dictatorial place, even China, where they say, well, at least they're being honest with how they run things. Lev, and they're Lev, attracted to Amer that. America is just full of really delayed teenage rebellions by incels. You know, that's where it's at to me. 
but where do you think I'm that but do you think that's going to lead to somewhere uh so luke like do you think that's going to lead to somewhere or is that alexander right that this is just like some people who are you know have nothing better to do so they're just complaining and eventually nothing's really going to come from their uh, complaining and wanting of fascism he's thinking about it that's a good pose. Yeah, that is a good pose for the uh, interim time. And uh, by the way, before uh, Luke answers, well, as he's loading up here, once again, I want to thank Alexander and ask you, what are you working on right now? What do we have to look forward to from the great Alexander Bard in the next couple of uh, weeks, months? Two books. Process event going to come out next year. Bard and Sedekist. And then I'm working on a book with Catalyst from Catalyst, Catalyst an Amazing Thinker. That book's called The Negatology. Hopefully also out next year. Excellent. So back yeah. to Luca, you are back online. That would be my final question as far as whether you think this tendency that we're seeing online right now of a lot of young people looking towards something like a fascist system is something to pay attention to or whether it's just uh, people complaining because they're very online and you know they have something to say and they're going to say it and then it's going to change. Um, I mean, I don't really take anyone's professed political beliefs too seriously. Um, I think especially because fascism has this, um, I don't, I don't know this. It, it, it's kind of like everyone knows that it's kind of the, everyone is so vaccinated against it in our society. I think the natural assumption for many people is to assume that, well, there must be something to this. I think if they're in that, that state of rebellion, um, and I think, you know, back in 2016, where this became a popular thing, you know, people would, you know, have all these kind of gas chamber memes and stuff like that. Um, I think as they became more serious and more invested in politics, uh, those jokes gradually started to evaporate. And I, I think people became more realistic. Um, uh, I guess they toned down the jokes and thought about what actually is going on. What, you know, what, what does it even mean? I mean, to even do something like... What is for America? It has nothing to do. Uh, our, our environment is entirely different. So it's not really, I mean, it, it, we're really just talking about aesthetics, you know, and, um, you know, kind of very um, so I don't really take I, I don't really take any of that stuff too seriously. You know, I agree entirely. This is why woke is also. It, it's a laptop phenomenon. So, mm. what, people, what people do with the laptop without skin in the game, without doing physically, is not going to be that important. I think we're learning that very quickly at the moment. So, mm. people talk about these things and then people get upset about it because they they believe in the symbolic and he used that word. It's very, very, it's very sissy, you know, the whole thing like, oh, did you hear that word that he used? And then, of course, the contrarian reaction is that, oh, I'm going to be a fascist then. Well, you're not a fascist, the fucking laptop, you know? <laughs> it's not going to happen. But yeah, and some of those instances, they get a gun and do school shootings, and that's like the end of it. That's the tragedy of it. The fascist becomes a fucking isolated incel that kills kids at school. But that's not fascism. That's just, that's just a dialectical reaction to bullying from a guy who probably deserved it, right? It's just, it's just teenage shit. It's, it's just not serious. I'm interested in the serious stuff. And in that case, I think the communist Chinese model today, they're selling to the rest of the world. We can all sell the equipment so you can control your population top down. That is the serious threat. That is the real fascism of our time. And it's not nice. 
And I'm very posted, and, and that's the real problem. And America has to come up with its alternative. America has to find an identity of a digital America that defends freedom and openness and does so thoroughly mm. so it doesn't become a copy of communist China. So you think that as far as Americans go, this is my last question to you, Alexander, do you think as far as Americans go, they should be concerned about what ends up happening in other parts of the world, be it like Russia, Ukraine, or China, or whatever, because at a certain point you think it does affect Americans, or is it possible to live independently of any of these world affairs that are going on? It's just I think, that, I think the people who call themselves liberals in America today are becoming so fucking militant that they are going for tyranny next. I think liberal tyranny is very much a likely scenario in America in the next 10 years. Oh, boy. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, with that, everybody, thank you so much for watching. Alexander, really appreciate you. I uh, always love to have you on. Luke, it was a great pleasure to have you on. Really appreciate you took the time to uh, speak uh, with us today. So, listen, guys, where could we find what you are working on? Alexander, you already mentioned what you're working on. If you want to mention anything else, please go ahead. And anywhere No, else I don't go. do sales pitches. If you're interested in my work, you can Google it yourself. All right, Luke, anything uh, you want to promote, anything that's uh, heading, uh, heading our way from uh, the great Luke Smith? Uh, well, I mean, my website is lukesmith.xyz. Everything's there. I don't know. You know, I, I have a bunch of little things. So Lindy Press. It. Lindy Press. Oh, yeah. Well. Lindypress.net. That's a little business I have where I reprint out of print books. So you can go there if you, if you want. But that's one of the things I do. <laughs> So. Excellent. Uh, I am all about that. Thank you guys so much for watching. Once again, be, please be sure to subscribe. Please be sure to go to patreon.com slash break the rules. Become a patron today. If you like beautiful wooden crafts that my father, Alexander Polyakov, makes, be sure to become a patron today. Here are the magnets. I know uh, you can't see them uh, right now, Luke, but believe me, they're very beautiful to look at. Those would be yours when you become a $20 tier patron, and $50 tier patron is going to give you a custom magnet so whatever design you want to do it's going to be done i guarantee you thank you so much for watching